What Was That Like? contains adult language and content and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to What Was That Like? I'm your host, Scott Johnson. This is a show where we talk to regular people, people just like you or just like me, who have found themselves in an extremely unusual situation. We'll hear their stories and get inside their head because we all want to know, what was that like? More information about each episode at whatwasthatlike.com. Here we go. If you were out in public somewhere, just going about your day, and you saw someone collapse, someone you don't know, what would you do? Most people don't really know what they would do until they're actually put in that situation. There are stories of people who witness something like this and they just freeze. Or if it's a busy place like a public sidewalk and someone's on the ground, a lot of times everyone will just walk by. It's an unfortunate psychology thing with humans. It's called diffusion of responsibility. Everyone thinks that someone else will help, and as a result, no one helps. Well, thankfully, not everyone is like that. There are some people who see a situation, maybe a person in distress, and their first thought is, what can I do to help this person? One of those people is Kevin Purcell, who you'll meet in today's episode. Kevin is the executive director of the New Jersey State Golf Association. One day about a year ago, Kevin was finishing up a round of golf, and he saw something was happening on the course. As he looked more closely, he could see that a man was on the ground. The man who had collapsed was Carlos Tapia, and he was having a heart attack. In today's episode, we'll hear from Kevin what happened. And I was also able to get a few comments from Carlos to get his perspective on that day. A couple of things I want to mention. For clubs or courses that would like to get involved with providing CPR training for your staff, I'll have links for that in the show notes for this episode at whatwasthatlike.com slash 31. And I also want to thank my friend Paul Kondo for connecting me with Kevin. If you're looking for new podcasts to listen to, Paul publishes an email newsletter that helps with that. Every Wednesday, he highlights three podcast episodes that he's found interesting, and you can check that at paulcondo.com. That's P-A-U-L-K-O-N-D-O dot com. I don't know if he's related to Marie Kondo or not, but his sense of humor kind of does spark joy for me. Maybe you'll like it too. And if you'd like to join others who support this show for as little as $1 a month, you can do that at whatwasthatlike.com forward slash support. And now, let's meet Kevin. On the day this happened, how many other people on that golf course do you think knew CPR? You know, I've thought about this after the fact. There are, there's a golf, there's a pool at the golf course, so there's some lifeguards at the pool. They probably knew CPR, three or four of those. Uh, but I would imagine at any golf course at any given time, out of a, hundred people on the golf course, there's probably a handful that do know CPR. Obviously, there's some doctors who are members of the club, and they obviously would have known CPR. Yeah, that's good to have somebody like that around. As, as I was doing a little bit of background for this before we spoke, I found out some interesting statistics, and basically three things. 
One is that a little over half, like 54% of Americans, say they know how to perform CPR. But the second one is only one out of six know that the recommended technique is no longer including breaths. It's compressions only. And the third one is only one out of 10 know the actual correct pace for those compressions, which is 100 to 120. How did you happen to know how to do CPR the right way on that day? In a previous job, I was the general manager of golf courses for the county of Bergen. We had five golf courses, and we manned those golf courses by a lot of part-time staff. Each year, we would have an orientation for those staff members in our uh, headquarters. And as part of the orientation, we would have occasionally, not every year, but we would have uh, CPR training. So uh, I didn't do the CPR training every year, but I was around it every year we did it. I heard it all the time. I heard when that change came on, uh, came on board that it, uh, that you no longer had to do the breaths. So it was through the repetition of, of those trainings that, uh, that I remembered, uh, I muddled my way through when the time was, uh, uh, when the time was important to remember it. That's good. A lot of it stuck then. Okay. Well, just take us through what happened that day. Where were you? Uh, where, where did this actually happen? So it actually happened on the first tee of the golf course. I was finishing my round of golf. It was about 1130, 12 o'clock. I had just uh, finished the 18th hole, was walking up the hill. There's a hill behind the 18th hole, then a little cart path, and then some steps up to the 12th tee, which is adjacent to the first tee. This is at the course where you normally play? Yeah, this is at the club, Forest Hill Field Club in Bloomfield, New Jersey, where uh, I grew up playing. And uh, since I've become executive director of the State Golf Association, I've gone back there as a member and uh, thoroughly enjoy being there. So I'm walking up uh, the hill to where the cart path is. And I happened to look over to the first tee and I saw a friend of mine standing oddly looking straight down. And I quickly looked, but then didn't think much of it. I went back to my scorecard. I was filling out the card of what was really a lackluster round of golf. I didn't finish particularly well on the 18th hole, so I wasn't in the best of moods. But as I walked up uh, the stairs to the same level of the 12th tee and looking over to the first tee, I realized there was somebody on the ground. And uh, kind of instinct took over. I just kind of ran over there. And when I uh, when I got there, he was uh, laying on the ground. My friend, Frank Almezi, was standing over him trying to talk to him, and I knelt down. And the man was completely unresponsive. I did not know him, so uh, I, I didn't even know his name to, to call his name. So I realized he was uh, laying on his side. His eyes were wide open, and he was breathing laboriously. He had fallen in a way that his glasses were mangled around his eyes and bridge of his nose, and he had cut hit the bridge of his nose. So the first thing I did while he was breathing like that, uh, I, I kind of lifted his head. I wanted to make sure that there wasn't anything clogging his throat. So I lifted his head. I got the glasses out of there, and he was breathing still. And uh, at that time, I'm thinking, okay, what do I do now? The first thought was that if he's breathing, the body wants to stay alive. So let's let him breathe and see if it could correct itself. Again, he was uh, non-responsive. So waving his my hand in front of his eyes, Frank was calling his name from behind me and there was no response to that at all. So we were just, I was just kind of 
monitoring him, right? And at that moment, a young lady knelt down on the other side of him. She said, I'm a, I'm a doctor's assistant. And she immediately reached for his wrist and said, I have a pulse. So I said to her, well, he's breathing. He has a pulse. Let's just see what's going on. Let's just let it be for a minute. And almost instantaneously, she said, I'm losing the pulse. And he stopped breathing. So at that point, she said, do you know CPR? And I said, well, we're going to find out. I, I didn't say that, but I, I, I pushed him on his on his back. So he was laying on his back now. And I uh, found his breast breastplate, put one hand over another and started compressions. So a year prior to this, at a meeting that we have for all of our golf courses, uh, the member clubs come to a meeting that we have speakers come to. I had the opportunity to speak to introduce some of the speakers. And as part of my introduction, I had said that golf courses should really have CPR training because I remembered uh, us doing it at the public courses. I had just recently heard on the radio that the rhythm for compressions goes to the song, staying alive, staying alive. Ah, 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 ah. And that came to me in that moment. So I started singing it to myself and I was doing the compressions and uh, knowing that you have to push the blood from the chest cavity all the way to the brain, I realized I got to be pushing pretty hard. So I did that. He's a big man. I realized that not from looking at the length of his body, but when I moved his head to get the glasses out from him, it was a heavy head. And I thought, hey, he's a big man, so I've got to push to make sure that this happened. It turns out that the gentleman is six foot eight. And, uh, and is a big man. So I was pushing, I was pushing, uh, 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 hard to make sure that thinking that I've got to move this blood from his chest to his brain. And that continued, uh, until there was a, a, a kind of a jerk. He sat up about a quarter of the way and took a big breath and went back on his back and again started breathing laboriously. And how many other people were around you at this time? I, to tell you the truth, Scott, it was me and Nicole. I could hear Frank behind me. I didn't realize until after the fact that there were 20 people around us. Well, yeah, of course, when something like that, you've got like tunnel vision. Yeah, yeah. I could not, I could, I could not see anybody other than the young lady next to me who I didn't know either. I heard Frank's voice behind me trying to coax him back. Other than that, I didn't know anybody was around because I was really focused uh, on him. And with a crowd like that, I'm sure somebody had already called 911. Correct. Our golf professional, Jason Fury, had called uh, 911. Uh, and it wasn't until after – so so he, he came back after the first time of going out. We were monitoring him again, and he went out again. So uh, we again started compressions and uh, kept that going. It wasn't until the, that second time that I could actually hear the siren in the background of an ambulance coming. But I tell you, in the heat of the moment, it sound it, it seemed like it was taking an hour for it to get there. CPR is actually a tiring to perform because you're using your entire body to to generate enough energy to press the uh, to to make the compression. So I could hear it in the background, didn't pay much attention to it, knew it was coming, kept the compressions going, and again there was a jerk from his body, and he sat up quickly. Only a quarter sap, just kind of came off the ground a little bit and again started breathing real, really hard. So at that time, I kind of remembered again that you got to make sure that there's a, that, that there's a clear air flow 
So I wanted to, I looked in his mouth and made sure that he didn't have anything in his mouth and there wasn't, but it was just this, this very uh, difficult breathing. It was kind of like a bad snore, uh, where somebody has fallen asleep in a chair and just uh, an unnatural position and he's got that bad snore. So that's what it was, but he's still unresponsive, no uh, reaction over his eyes, which were wide open. So we kind of uh, let him monitor him again and he went out again. So this happened. In my estimation, it happened four or five times before coming in and out before the ambulance, uh, the EMT arrived. That's that part of it just seems so unusual to me because, you know, when you see like in a movie or on TV, somebody performing CPR and somebody comes back, it's like, oh, he's back. Oh, thankfully, he's okay now. Or even on a, a CPR demo or instruction or something, you know, you, you, you bring him back. I have not heard of them going back and coming back out of it. And then, go, you know, it went back and forth several times like that. Yeah, it did. Uh, as I said, four times at least, maybe five before the EMTs came. And when the EMT, when the EMT came, I thought uh, I was just going to get back off and they would take over. But that really wasn't the case. Uh, one person came around the back of his head and started to put on an airbag and the other person went across from me and replaced Nicole and started to uh, uh, unravel the, the, the portable defibrillator. Something I've been recently making a deliberate effort with is to read more. There are lots of books I want to read and I try to read every day, even if it's just a few pages. That little bit each day adds up and it can make a big difference. It's like taking care of your gut. Even though it's not big, it supports the health of your whole body. Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic benefits not just your gut and your heart, which aren't outwardly visible, but your skin too, which you can see. Every morning it's the same thing. Two capsules of Seed DSO-1. And sometimes I wonder, is it normal to feel this great? It helps support digestive health with optimal gut bacteria levels. And thankfully that's all backed up by science. And all the supporting data is on their website. If you're trying to avoid sugar, soy, peanuts, or gluten, you're good to go. And I was reading the literature and I thought, you had me at vegan, because it's that too. And if you have kids, DSO-1 is the first multi-strain symbiotic shown to be tolerable and health-promoting in a cohort of children aged 3 to 17. And you can use this promo code to give it a try. Trust your gut. With Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic, go to seed.com slash what and use code 25what to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO1 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash what, code 25what. I don't know how many other people do this, but I like to plan my weekly meals. Maybe I'm just weird, but I like quick and easy. That's just one of the benefits you can get with Cook Unity. Go to cookunity.com slash what or enter code what before checkout to get 50% off your first week. One of the dishes I recently had was the Green Goddess Falafel Bowl. Oh, I loved it. The falafel was seasoned perfectly, and I love how crispy it is on the outside, but really moist on the inside. It's a signature dish of Enat Admoni. She's known around the world as a chef. You've probably seen her on TV and her dishes are made right here in Florida, so I'm supporting local business, and I love that. And the convenience of Cook Unity is crazy. I mean, I've got podcast episodes to produce. I don't have time for cooking. These meals are delivered fully cooked. So when it's time to eat, I pick a meal based on my mood for that day. I heat it for a few minutes and enjoy. 
The menus are updated every week, so there's always something new to try. You can choose from over 350 meals based on your dietary needs or taste preferences, or go wild and have Cook Unity pick for you, because every meal is just amazing. Make the best meal plan ever with the convenience, chef-level quality, and endless variety of Cook Unity. Go to cookunity.com what or enter code what before checkout for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using code what or going to cookunity.com slash what. Took off the pads, put the place the pads, took his shirt off, put place the pads in the right spot. But uh, during this time, I was still doing the CPR compressions. The person who was at the head of the patient said to me, the MT worker said, uh, I'd like you to do it a little deeper and a little slower. Uh, so I, so I adjusted. Uh, and then there came a time when it's, uh, the defibrillator was ready to charge. So these are an amazing piece of equipment that, uh, that is really, uh, it's really set up for a person who has, knows nothing about them. And what you're talking about is called an AED. An AED. Yeah. It's a portable defibrillator. So it's going to measure the heart. It's going to monitor the heart once the pads are in place. So one goes on the chest. There's a picture on it. One goes on the chest. One goes on the side of the chest and it sends a pulse through and it measures the uh, electric waves that are in the heart and it will shock to, to restabilize those waves. Uh, and it got to the point where it needed to do that. So it goes off automatically. It says uh, charging clear. So that's when everyone backs away so they don't get shocked. He His whole body convulsed, jumped off the ground, went back down, and he had another rhythm and he was back again, but again, not conscious uh, back again. So at that time, at that stage, they said, okay, let's pack them up. So they kind of moved them, uh, moved them around, put them on the gurney and they were about to, to, uh, to move them out, but he went out again. So they started CPR while he was on the gurney and then they, they got him stable and then they moved him through the back of the clubhouse out towards the parking lot and took him. Part of what I, when I read what you wrote about this earlier, one of the things you said was Nicole calmed you while you were doing the compressions. Can you talk about that? How did she yeah, do that? Absolutely. She just uh, she just said what's your name? I said Kevin. She said, "Okay, so uh, you know how to do CPR. Let's just uh let's just take this uh let's just take this one step at a time." And what that did was just having somebody's voice in my ear that wasn't panic that I was feeling at the moment, uh, was calming for me. Uh, you know, she's a, as she said, she was a, a doctor's assistant and, uh, she knew this stuff. I, I later found out that she had actually never performed CPR before, but had, you know, obviously taken pulse for every patient that comes in the office. So, uh, while she was doing that, she was just a steady hand that was there while, uh, all the things were wrap, racking around in my brain as to whether I could be doing something else for the man. Right. Uh, isn't it amazing how in a situation like that, people who don't even know each other can all of a sudden form a team and you know, you all have the same goal Yeah, and everybody just works together. That was great. Yeah. You know, and, and I just, knowing that there were other people, you know, behind me who had already called for an ambulance. Listen, if I come upon this man by myself, 
I don't even know if I would have thought to call an ambulance until two or three repetitions of this thing. Because I'm, as I said before, I didn't know who was around me. I, I knew Nicole was there, but, but if I was only by myself, I would have been racking my brain trying to figure out how to help this man and uh, might not have thought about the ambulance, which is, which is when you, when you do CPR training, that's one of the, that's really the first thing you should do is, is make that call to the ambulance before you start anything else. Yeah, or make the call or instruct someone nearby to to make the call. Yeah, Yeah. if someone is nearby. Yeah. As an aside, have you ever seen the episode of The Office about CPR training? (laughs) I have not. Oh, man. But but having gone through our own training after the fact here in our office, uh, I could imagine that was a pretty good episode. It was pretty good. I'll (laughs) I'll link to that in the show notes for this. You'll you'll get a kick out of that. (laughs) Great. So they loaded him in the ambulance and – he, at that point, he was just off to the hospital then, right? Correct. And I'm standing on the tee. I'm standing on that first tee, and I, I look up for the first time, uh, you know, where I can focus on something other than getting him on the gurney and, and, and uh, uh, on his way, uh, and realize that there are a lot of people standing around, uh, some of them within hand's reach, and others that are, you know, 10 yards away and 20 yards away and all the way over on the other side of the 12th tee. But there were a lot of people standing there, and I thought to myself that I – I can't speak to any of these people right now. <laughs> Some of them were coming towards me saying, wow, that was great and everything. I was like, yep, thank you. Thank you. And I just moved my way to the closest door to the clubhouse. And I walked into the clubhouse and uh, having and remembering that it was early in the morning still, I wanted to kind of get to a room where I could just decompress and and just take a moment. And uh, and I thought the shower room would probably be the best because it was still early. Nobody was nobody was had made their way there yet. So I went into the shower room. I was alone for a little bit. And I thought to myself, Holy cow, what just happened? And at that time, my uh, my brother Tim came in. He was on a property. We I don't I don't I don't think we had played together, but uh we may have played together. <laughs> but anyway, he came in and uh, put his arm around me and said, uh, "Wow, that was incredible." And we stood there and cried for a little bit. Sorry. So um, uh, we talked a little bit and we're able to kind of clear the air and just kind of talked through what happened. And, uh, you know, eventually that was uh, it was it was kind of, you know, time to get on with today. You know, so I went, uh, you know, we were going to have lunch on the patio. So I went out to the patio and I sat there. And again, people were everybody was coming up saying that was incredible and everything. And, um, you know, just kind of got a time to to uh, uh, relax, uh, you know, take a few breaths and sit down and. Um, yeah, it, it takes yeah. you time just to process all of that. Yeah, yeah. Like you said, what just happened? Yeah, yeah. To to go into something like that, I always I always had wondered if I'd be the kind of guy to jump in and was happy to do that. That's why I said before that when I knelt down, that was a significant part of the story because I had done CPR training. It had been six years since I had done it. But you're not thinking about that as you're walking towards somebody who's down on the ground. I, I when I knelt down, I just knelt down out of you know compassion for the person, I guess. I don't know, but uh, to see if I could do something, and uh, it worked out that I could. So he was very fortunate to have you standing by, or at least have you notice something that was going on. This man's name is Carlos Tapia, and I was able to contact him and actually get a few comments to get his perspective on what happened that day. Hi, my name is Carlos Tapia. 
I'm joined the Forest Hill Golf Club in Bloomfield, New Jersey. I'm 76 years old. And August 27, like next week, I will be one year old from my second chance, thanks to Kevin Purcell. Last year on the same day, I was teeing off in the first hole, and I collapsed. I got a cardiac arrest. Kevin was finished dating hall, and he saw something was going on, so he ran to where I was and started performing CPR for about 10 minutes until the ambulance arrived. I was uh, uh, getting some electroshocks in the ambulance, and uh, two days after I got a pacemaker, I was able to play in the next 30 days after that day. So I would say uh, Kevin is a wonderful person. If it's not for him, I don't will be recording this now. And I will be grateful to him for the rest of my life. He's obviously a grateful guy. <laughs> it's pretty cool. That's pretty cool hearing that. Yeah. What's amazing that is he was playing golf again within a month after that. I saw him at a tournament a month later. I couldn't believe it. Uh, somebody told me, uh, I think Carlos is playing in this tournament. We have a big tournament called the Silver Putter uh, in September. And I said, come get out of here. And sure enough, I saw him a little later that day. He came over, gave me a big hug. We didn't know each other. This was the first time we were meeting. Got to talk a little bit. And uh, as you could tell, he's he's uh, he's Argentinian. And he, uh, as I said before, he's a six foot eight man. He uh, had played for the uh, Argentinian national basketball team and uh, in his youth. And uh, he had joined a club not too long ago. And I, we haven't had a, a chance for our paths to cross. So uh, really cool to uh, to meet him that day. It's really amazing. Did, did he recognize you or you recognize him or other people just said, hey, you guys need to talk to each other? I think other people put us together. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's hard to miss him because I, I found out after the fact that he was, uh, you know, he's that big a man. And so he's at six foot eight. You don't have that many people walking around a golf club at six foot eight. So so I saw him when he was coming. So we've developed a friendship since and it's uh, it's just uh, wonderful. That's cool. Now, you and he were in attendance at an event. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so uh, the Metropolitan Golf Writers Association gives out an award each year for somebody who has performed some sort of a humanitarian act or has saved a life or or uh, done something similar. Uh, it's The name of the award is the Mary B. Porter Award. And it's given uh, at this dinner, their annual dinner, where they also give out uh, five or six other awards, uh, the Club of the Year and, and uh, the Gold Tee Award, which went to golfer Jim Furyk, professional golfer Jim Furyk this year, that year. Uh, it was at the beginning of this past summer. And uh, the neat thing was Mary B. Porter was there. I was able to sit next to her on the dais and we talked and we talked about her uh, life-saving act, which happened back in the 80s when she was a player on the LPGA Tour. She had noticed some commotion in a pool adjacent to the uh, fairway she was on or she was actually in the trees uh, of the hole uh, so she could she was close enough to the property line to to see some commotion uh she went over to the fence while uh you know her playing a partner played a shot and she realized that there was a kid in the pool struggling and then she worked her way over the fence with the help of her caddy and she got over there and the the kid's father was there but he was so distraught when he grabbed his kid out of the pool and the kid was unresponsive that he just handed the kid to Mary B. Porter. And uh, Mary uh, didn't know what she was doing, pretty much like me, 
but had did did enough to uh, turn the kid upside down and and shake him a little bit and and uh, got the, enough water out for him to start breathing again and saved the life. So that was uh, an award that I was uh, happy to get. It's it's uh, uh, certainly not necessary. I said in my uh, in my acceptance of that, I uh, got a, had a couple minutes to just say thank you. And I said that this is a really uh, a neat award and it's it's nice to be recognized, but it really is unnecessary. And I said, because the real reason why this is cool is because of uh, the gentleman who's sitting standing over here. So uh, I pointed out into the crowd and Carlos stood up and I said, ladies and gentlemen, this is Carlos Tapia. And uh, the crowd stood to their feet. Uh, as I said, there were 400 people in the room. It was uh, it was an incredible night. Of uh, The crowd went yeah, wild. The crowd went wild, sure, for sure. Yeah. Well, tell us now, you're, you're on some sort of a crusade to get CPR training and everything on golf courses and clubs. How is that working, or what's your involvement with that? I realized after this had happened and uh, in, in hearing so many uh, nice uh, – getting so many nice notes from friends and, and strangers that there's probably something here that, that I should try to uh, use to motivate clubs to get a little bit better, to have their staff be better trained. Uh, so I wrote an article for our magazine. Remember, I'm the executive director of the State Golf Association. We have a magazine. There's about 40,000 members of our, actually about 65,000 members of our association that get the magazine. So I wrote an article in the magazine. Along with the publishing of the magazine, uh, we had uh, uh, made uh, arrangements with the American Red Cross. A young lady came out and sat with us and, and told us about how easy it would be to do training for the clubs. So we arranged with them for a program for them to be, for people to be, uh, to go work through our website to get connected with the American Red Cross and set up training in their local area for their, uh, staff members, uh, and members if they wanted to, uh, or, or for just, uh, their own businesses, uh, uh, do that. So then we started promoting it at our golf summit. I, I mentioned before at a previous golf summit, I mentioned that the song for the rhythm. But uh, at this year's golf summit, we had Courtney come out and uh, and talk about the program, and we're we're still in the process of, process of trying to get clubs to uh, engage with this program and get their staff trained. It's obvious a program like that is absolutely going to save lives. Yeah, I agree. I'll be uh, in November. I'll be getting together with the International Association of Golf Administrators, which is a uh, an association that I'm a member of, and I'll also uh, speak about it there. And hopefully, uh, some other associations will also get this program as part of their uh, benefits for clubs. That's, yeah, that's great. Well, whatever links we can provide to for other clubs or uh, golf courses that want to get involved with this and get the training for their staff. I'll put those links in the show notes for this episode so they can see that there. And wow, great job. It was a bad day of golf for you, but good way to end it, right? Absolutely. There's never really a bad day of golf. There's just, uh, but this one was pretty special. This will be one I'll remember the rest of my life for sure. Thanks for listening. My goal for each episode is to bring you people and stories that you just won't find on other podcasts. If you'd like to discuss this episode or previous episodes with other listeners, you can do that at our private Facebook group at whatwasthatlike.com slash Facebook. I hope to see you in there. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do that at whatwasthatlike.com slash support. And I'll see you in two weeks, where we'll once again be asking the question, what was that like?
Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.